annihilated. We need peace. 93.3 and AM 560. The United States stands with Israel. GWTO. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I'm a Democrat. A liberal voice on a it's Debate with the Democrat, featuring proud card-carrying Democrat Jeff Smith on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Let's get ready to Jeff Smith, welcome back to the show. Question of the day. I know movies are not your strong suit, but we're going to start with the movie question of the day. What's the Greatest opening scene to a movie in history. Raising Arizona. Wow. Reaching back into the vault. There you go. I, I think it's one of the best movies ever made. You've seen it, right? I have. It's, you know, not a lot of people. What was that? 80, late 80s? I think 85. I was going to say 87. Yeah. And that was what? Was it Nicolas Cage in one of his first roles? One of Nicolas Cage's first roles. I think it was one of the Coen brothers' first movies. And still, I think a lot of people think it's one of Nicolas Cage's best movies. A- absolutely. Just an unbelievable performance, you know, kind of against type for a guy who, well, you know, turned into a, an action hero. Um, leaving Las Vegas was also against type for him. I think he's a fabulous actor, uh, you know, just despite doing kind of the formulaic, you know, action movies. Um, anyway, his comedic timing in... Uh, kind of the opening montage and in the, um, you know, in the whole movie is just unbelievable. The writing is fabulous. Holly Hunter's amazing. It's, I, hi, you know, four star, five stars. Highly recommend for the audience. Raising Arizona. Very good. Uh, Jeff, we got, we got the Speaker of the House has a lot of drama right now. It doesn't matter in Washington or in, or in Missouri. There's a lot of drama in the Speaker. And ironically, both positions are held by Republicans right now, so it's your favorite time of the week where you get to talk about Republicans. Tell us a little bit. Let's start with Missouri. Give us your view. Obviously, speakers had some controversy lately. There was a story that broke earlier this week about some impermissible reimbursements. We saw uh, the Speaker Plocker go on a TV show earlier today, defend his record. We've had Representative Manzi Boyd and Doug Ritchie call for his resignation some of the statewide candidates jay ashcroft and will sharf also out there with statements give us your perspective on this entire situation so a lot of the time um when uh politicians in high office are confronted with you know scandals or other kind of serious challenges the um the, the trajectory of how it plays out is oftentimes not determined by what's happening at the moment, but determined by what's happened over the preceding, you know, year or longer, right? When Eric Greitens um, first made his statement at the, right after the state of the state in 2018, uh, you know, kind of acknowledging that he had had an affair, um, I was silent, you know, throughout most of that whole thing, you know, I work in the Capitol and, you know, part of that work is relationship building with, with key stakeholders. But the one thing I tweeted was that when you need friends, 
it's usually too late to make them. What I'm saying is that a lot of how these things play out is, you know, and you know this as well as anybody having been a speaker of the house. And so I'm, I'm glad that you're addressing these issues on the state level and the national level, but the work that you've done over the preceding seven years, you know, for a speaker in their final year to really build deep relationships and broad relationships across the different ideological wings and geographic factions in your caucus really often determines whether you've got the support to sustain, you know, a speakership, uh, a leadership position when things like this hit. So my first, you know, thought is that oftentimes, you know, it's, it's, it's how much support you come into these things with often more than the content of the, the allegations, because this is, it's bad. I mean, it's, it's not a good look, but it typically probably wouldn't be enough in the age of Trump to trigger a resignation. Um, but I think, you know, keep that uh, speaker Plocker, you know, has some challenges in, in, you know, within the caucus. And that's why you're, I think seeing, uh, and, and, and broadly speaking, um, you know, we have, and I've written about this in my columns, there are divides within the Missouri Republican Party right now because it's a dominant party in the state. Schisms are opening up, and you're seeing that with some of the calls from people like Jay Ashcroft, uh, Mazzy Boyd, you know, now Doug Ritchie. So let me, I, I want to click, do you, are you chalking those calls up because they are from a different wing of the party than, than the speaker is from, or, or is that what you're saying? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that part of rising to a leadership position uh, within a state party is trying to, you know, use personal relationships. I mean, I think you know this really well, you know, because you spent years doing this to become speaker. People oftentimes don't realize what goes into that. You didn't just win a vote, you know, five years into your time in the House because people were like, yeah, I want that guy. You spent five, six years driving around the state, going to coffee shops and diners in small towns across Missouri to get to know folks. And that's why you won. So what I'm saying is not so much that like, yeah, I think it's true that some of the initial calls for his resignation or some of the more serious, uh, you know, kind of comments that we've seen from, from people Part of it is that they're from people from different kind of wings of the party, yes, but part of the reason that you became speaker, part of the reason that, you know, um, successful party leaders sustain and, and you know, uh, can, can not just get there but stay there is because they've used personal relationships to kind of smooth over ideological divides. And that's really kind of, I think, a fun, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, you know, and if you don't, you know, spend a lot of time, if you're just spending a lot of your time uh, in that leadership position, surrounded by the people you're already closest to, then you can leave yourself vulnerable to real challenges when tough times hit. If that makes any sense. A hundred percent. And I, you know, I think it's interesting, and, and you and I have discussed sort of the the power arc in the legislature. As you, you know, traditionally the path of speaker, you become the full leader, then you become the full leader and the speaker designee, and then you become the speaker. 
And as you become the flow leader, your power starts to increase. When you become flow leader and speaker designee, it increases even more. And you really reach the zenith of your power about the time you get sworn in. And then you create your committee structure and you start referring bills. And by the end of that first year, then people are like, ah, they've only got one year left. And then that fall, we elect a new designee. And then really the next spring, when you do your next batch of referrals, all the power starts to disappear. And so there's this interesting part where most every speaker who gets two years, their second years are significantly less successful than their first year because the entire caucus started to move their attention to the next speaker. And I think it's a, a, a really unique thing. My experience is very unique because my second session was largely canceled by COVID. So the first half of the session was going great, but everyone's like, oh, get ready for the second half. Everybody's going to take their eye off you. And then we didn't have a second half. And so I didn't experience that drop off because the, the whole dang world dropped off. And so it's interesting because the current speaker, he's gone through what would be the single most powerful part. And now he's at a position where people are starting to look at the next guy. And so there's nobody that's like, well, I have to stand up for him because he's still got a tremendous amount of influence. That influence has begun to wane even before the situation occurred. I think that's right. And, you know, if I can just kind of jump off from what you said, just a couple other, you know, points. Um, the fact that the likely successor, you know, the, the speaker-elect, uh, John Patterson, is very well regarded across the caucus. And even though he would probably be considered center-right, he's done an excellent job of really building trust and personal relationships with people in the conservative caucus. And that's, in, you know, I think that has been something he's done from the day he got to, to the legislature. Um, it's never, if you're a leader that is facing, you know, a, a very high profile challenge like this, um, it's not good for you if your successor is broadly acceptable, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it 100%. Have, it, it would have been very good for Eric Greitens if my old friend Russ Carnahan had won the lieutenant governor's race in 2016, because then people wouldn't have wanted to start the impeachment process if they knew a Democrat would rise to, you know, uh, ascend to the, to the governorship, right? And so having just, you know, a guy like, like uh, Parson when he was lieutenant governor, who was, you know, um, mostly, you know, pretty well liked within the building when he was in the House and Senate, uh, hurt Greitens, right? Because it made people more willing to, to toss him a report. There's one other angle that I think is probably worth discussing is, you know, I've, as regular listeners know, uh, went through my own very public, you know, scandal uh, regarding lying to the uh, FBI about my knowledge of a campaign postcard, which led to federal prison. And when I was going through that publicly, you know, I, I um, learned a lot about the public side of crisis management and subsequently have advised lots of other, you know, politicians going through these things. And I think what Trump has done is, you know, he's, he's changed the playbook for a lot of people in public life, especially Republicans, uh, about how to handle these scandals. But I don't think it works very well for people not named Trump. He's got some perverse genius, some, you know, feral uh, ability to, to connect with people. And, you know, Trump does. And in, in the Republican primary electorate, certainly not broadly speaking, 
And that really causes people to rally by him when he goes through these things, no matter how ridiculous the things he's done are. He's been already convicted of and, and facts out there far infinitely more egregious than anything Dean Plocker, than Dean Plocker's opponents could ever allege about him. And yet your party is rallying around, rallying around him for the most important office in the United States for the next four years. And Dean having been alleged to have done something comparatively, you know, minuscule, um, you know, is, is, is facing these, you know, some calls for his resignation. So I wanted to just, a point that out and then say that for for scandalized politicians not named trump i still think that humility is the best approach to go to the public or your caucus and say look i screwed up and it was you know i i I took my eye off the ball and it's humbled me and i've i've learned a lesson from it more broadly than just this and I'm going to be more structured and more disciplined and more organized going forward. And that's going to help me run the caucus and the floor more smoothly next session. And I, I'm going to tell you, you know, like this won't happen again, I promise you. But I take full responsibility for, for all of it. And a good leader should never put his caucus members in the line of fire. And I'm sorry that you're having to answer questions from constituents or the media about my mistakes. I still think that does better for people not named Trump, ultimately. What are your thoughts? Uh, so I agree. And, and ironically, I had a conversation last night with a caucus member, obviously having him been the speaker. And, and candidly, I, I, it's a weird position to be friends with everybody on all sides of this particular issue. Um, I was talking to somebody last night, and I said the exact same thing. I, I, I've always been a fan of contrition. Um, and I think you know a lot of people watched what Trump did, and they have changed their responses to scandals based on that but i also think and and forgive me because i'm going to interject political politically here but i feel like a lot of republicans think trump adopted what has traditionally been a democratic tactic of saying i'm not going to resign and i'm going to press through this and seeing it be successful and we've seen it you know obviously bill clinton being the biggest example but we saw it you know what a couple years ago in virginia when Ralph Northam, the governor, basically faced calls from everybody in the country to resign, said no, and got the chance to rewrite the narrative. And I feel like there's been a lot of Republicans that have seen these situations and seen Donald Trump and said, you know what, why would I resign when I can stay in office and I can attempt to rewrite the narrative for the history books? And so I am by no means saying whether or not Dean Plocker should resign or not resign. I, you know, listen, and, and frankly, I, I think it's strange with people calling them to resign. It's one thing to say, you know, this is what the penalty should be. But I, I think it's really interesting to watch how Republicans and Democrats have, I should say Republicans have changed their position on this issue uh, from where they were maybe 20 years ago to where they seem to be now. I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. Um, and I uh, appreciate your invocation of, of Northam and Bill Clinton, you know, Bill Clinton, uh, as they say, mastered the first rule of surviving scandal. Don't resign no matter what. Right. <laughs> and, and, and Northam, you know, uh, you know, adopted that, but you know, there, there comes a point where, you know, uh, where these things snowball and, and, you know, we'll see, um, you know, Tomorrow, there's a hearing in the ethics committee, 
Um, so we'll see kind of what comes out of that. Uh, I think Speaker Plocker can certainly survive this hiccup. Uh, it will hurt his lieutenant, you know, governor's aspirations. You know, he is in that in that lieutenant governor's race, and we saw uh, a new former state senator, Bob Onder, uh, take steps to to jump into that race yesterday. So I think there's probably going to be a perception that despite his uh, war chest, um, this is going to make any his statewide aspirations much more complicated. Uh, but you know, when you um, when you uh, achieve a leadership position uh, like he has, it just a lot of people don't realize that the level of scrutiny goes up exponentially. The things that a normal rank and file member of of the state legislature, or even a congressperson, can often get away with because no one's watching that closely. You can't get away with uh, when you're speaker, especially when people smell a little blood in the water and you've made some enemies, then there's a lot of people out there who can be sending tips to enterprising reporters. Jason Hancock um, is as good of an investigative reporter as there is in the state of Missouri. People know that, even if they don't agree with everything printed in the Independent. Um, I'm biased. I have a, I have a column uh, you know, that, that runs occasionally in there, but uh, I think that there are, you know, it's one of the realities of politics and media is that when you do um, have enemies and or when you do have conflicts uh, and, and then this, you know, people who are unhappy with the way that they've been treated. Um, you know, we saw Dana Radman Miller, the clerk of the state house, um, kind of the top administrator of, of the body, you know, give some some quotes to Jason Hancock and, and give some documents to him that led to. Uh, the publication of articles a few weeks ago about a constituent management software program that Speaker Plocker had urged the House to adopt would have cost about $800,000. And the, the chief clerk said, we don't need it. We've already got something that works. And she had a lot of concerns about whether it would lead to the politicization of constituent contacts, uh, you know, the, the emails that constituents write. You know, that was another example of just if you don't, um, or if you aren't real careful in everything that you're doing in a leadership position, uh, things can easily come back to haunt you. And, and, and you have to be aware of that greatly heightened level of scrutiny once you get there. Would you agree? Uh, I do. And, and again, like, you know, the, the, the prior situation, I don't want to get too far down the road of, of what's going on, but you know, in that prior situation, I think that's a, that's a situation that's very unique because we, we don't know what happened there. We don't know if the FBI is looking. There was a lot of, I would say, smoke. We, we know what we do know is that he had pushed for a new management system. A House committee voted not to. And that seems to have been the end of it. Maybe there were some harsh discussions between the speaker and the clerk. But I feel like that one requires some investigation and maybe a little more information. This situation, a little bit novel in that. There doesn't seem to be as much need for an investigation. It's more a discussion of what's the appropriate punishment for the mistakes that were made. So very different situations. I, I don't think the, the story has been fully written on this. And full disclosure to everybody, I've, I've, I've reached out to the speaker. I've offered him the chance to come on the show. Obviously, earlier in the show, we had State Representative Doug Ritchie um, on. And I've tried to say, listen, I, I will be a fair platform. Everybody gets their chance to come on the show and plead their case. So 
really a fascinating situation in Missouri politics taking place. I don't think we have time to dig into the federal speaker election, but uh, appreciate Jeff Smith, you joining us today. One of our more uh, thoughtful discussions. Sometimes we just yell, and today I felt like a little bit more more uh, interesting. Uh, if anybody wants to follow the work that you do or get more of your opinions on social media, how do they do that? If you want to get some of my less thoughtful takes, then uh, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Smith Mo, uh, at Jeff Smith M O. Thank you, and I appreciate you having me on, Elijah. Again, that was Jeff Smith talking about the situation in the Missouri legislature this year. So much more to go in the show today. One more segment we'll dig into even more. Stick around.